Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank you oh so much for the many things you've already blessed us with this day. And now the blessed opportunity once again to get back in as we continue our studies through the book of Romans, that we can learn what you want us to and apply it in the right way. Thank you oh so much as we pray in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. Continuing our Exploring the Word series in the book of Romans, we pick it back up here in Romans chapter 4. Go through chapter 4 rather quickly here. There's a a lot concerning the circumcision and the uncircumcision. And basically what he's talking about is that salvation comes to people of either circumcised or uncircumcised. That the finished work of Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant was sealed by a physical circumcision to indicate that you were entering into that contract, which is what covenant means. So Paul teaching the folks in Rome that the Greeks are just as qualified and eligible for salvation as the Hebrew, the Jews, the circumcised. So we get right into chapter 4. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh, hath found. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. She's pointing out here that it wasn't by Abraham's work that he became born again or saved, or righteous, that it was by faith in God. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth, the blessedness of a man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. Speaking of the history, because when the Lord initiated that connection to Abraham, there wasn't any covenant made yet. And the circumcision hadn't began, so he had already began showing his righteousness through faith in God before he was circumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision when he received that, because you go back to the history, you can see a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had yet been uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all that, all them that believe though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed 
unto them also. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of the of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. This righteousness by heirs, if you go back to John, the Gospel of John in chapter 1, where we see right from the beginning speaking of Jesus Christ and the salvation that he has available, the anointing, the adoption even into the family that is available through finished work of Jesus Christ. If you pick it up in chapter 1, verse 12 of the Gospel of John, But as many as received him, received Jesus Christ, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, not to them that were circumcised, or not to them that were of a certain bloodline, as he tells in verse 13, which were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So salvation comes by the finished work of Jesus Christ, and it is by the faith in receiving and trust in that finished work that he has done, not on our own and not because we are an heir of Abraham or because we have been circumcised. Verse 14, For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Going back into the Romans, of course, we're speaking here. And the transgression, whether it, you know whether it's a sin or not, it doesn't depend on whether you have a written law down that you have to, to follow or if you're being given the understanding of what is right and wrong, which he's already spoke about. We already read about how the Holy Ghost will let them know what is right and what is wrong. So when you are instructed what is right and what is wrong, you have received the law, whether it is directly by a written or a verbal or in you by way of the Holy Ghost. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believeth, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and called those things which were which be not as though they were. Quicken, that means brought back to life. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. 
when Abraham was told that he was going to receive a son, that he was going to have a child by Sarah, and that he would be the father of many nations, that was given to him, and they didn't, he didn't see the fulfillment of those many nations. He saw some of that, yes, but not all of that. Just like the Lord has prophesied many things. So saying things, as I said, those things which be not as though they were. Telling us ahead of time what things are. You are born again. You are quickened. You are brought back to life spiritually because you have trusted in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And looking forward to all the many things he has told us about that we have in the future. Even though they are not yet here, but yet he speaks as they are here. Prophesied. And we can depend on that. Verse 19. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead. Talking about Abraham. When he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb... He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed. If we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. That one right there is qualifying it, telling us what it is. We have to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, in God, who raised Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ for all he had done and is doing. And is going to do for us. We must believe and trust in Him and in His Word. And then we have that relationship. We have that indwelling Spirit coming into us. We have that justification, which means found innocent of our sins because of that. Not because of our works. Not because of things that we have ourselves done. All right, we'll run into Romans chapter 5. Therefore, being justified by faith. Notice, justified by faith. It's not by works. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, that one verse right there, short, simple, actually contains the entire message of chapter 4. That our justification is by faith. Not of works, but by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that gives us peace knowing that it isn't something that we have to strive so hard and work so hard to achieve, and then we get that. No, it's a free gift that the Lord has available for us by merely trusting and believing in Jesus Christ and what He has done for us and accepting that. Read that again. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. All the many more blessings that come upon us because we trust in the Lord. And they are by grace, which is unmerited favor. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, 
Knowing that tribulation worketh patience. The hardships that you go through because you have become a Christian, the persecution that you're going to get, the tribulation of in this world, the rejection, the hate that's going to come upon you, even the threat of life. And we rejoice in that. We say not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulations work with patience. And patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. That hope is so important. Because if you look at what is hope, hope is a confidence. It's a confidence in God and in His Word. It's a confidence in the written Word and the Word that you receive directly by the Holy Ghost. And you have a confident expectation in the fulfillment of the things that he tells us in his words and the promises that he has given to us. So in a condensed version, hope is the confident anticipation and expectation of the fulfillment of the prophecies and promises of God. That is true hope. When you have that kind of hope, it is a result of having the faith in Jesus Christ and what He can do for you. That gives you that hope. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It isn't that he only died for the righteous. He died for everybody. He paid the price of all sin, of all mankind, past, present, and future. Whether they come to him or not, he paid the price for their sins. And that was a horrible price to pay. He's much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. That atonement is the price that's been paid by Jesus Christ. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, speaking of Adam, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgressions, who is the figure of him that was to come. Everybody after Adam that was born, everybody born after Adam was born into sin. Born separated from God. Because the relationship was severed by Adam and Eve in the garden. And you see that account in Genesis chapter 3. That is what death is. That was the death he was speaking of. Death is separation. So they were separated from God. And this reconciliation that he mentioned earlier, we get reunited with God. That means brought back to life, reconnected. That's what life is, is connection. 
And because of what Adam did, it comes upon everybody. Even if you didn't sin in the exact same way that Adam did, it still comes upon you because we're born into this world. The sinners were descendants of Adam. But not as of the fall offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Notice, unto many. Not unto all, because of, because of what Adam did, all have sinned. But not all have become saved because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. They've, those that have accepted the finished work of Jesus Christ have become saved and reconciled and born again. That's why he says, abounded unto many, not unto all. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Because of Adam, all sin. Because of Jesus Christ, all have got the opportunity to get those sins forgiven and washed away and become reconciled with God. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, which is Jesus Christ, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience... Many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord." The more sin somebody has performed in their life, the more evidence and the more grace it takes to have that forgiveness. It's unmerited favor. Finished work. Paid already already been paid. But he's pointing out here that so much grace is put upon somebody. But don't have the wrong attitude concerning that grace, as it says in chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So do we just keep sinning so that we can have a better example of more grace poured upon us? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? We are to be converted, become new creatures in Christ. To repent, it means turn away from that sin. Not to continue in it and expect the grace to come upon you and the forgiveness to come upon you. Know ye not that so many of us, as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into His death. Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead, By the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. This death that he's speaking of is that separation again. We are separated from our sins. We are separated from our mortality, our mortal 
affections and lustful desires that needs to be mortified, as it says, to separate, to kill off. And the process of dying with Christ is what he's making a connection to here, referring to. It's as if we die in Christ or with Christ and are separated from that sinful part of us and we are born again, reconciled, brought back to life, part of the family of God. In the process that we perform a baptism in water, it represents you going into the grave and coming out of the grave when you raise up out of that water, a new creature in Christ. Sins washed away, buried, separated, gone, risen again as a new creature. Verse 4 again, Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life, becoming that new creature. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. He that is separated from that sinful life of the past is freed from that. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over Him, never to be separated again, never to die again. United with God the Father, we are united with Him, never to be separated from Him. For in that He died, He died unto sin once, That was the sins of all mankind for everybody. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Separated from sin, reconciled to God. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law? But under grace, God forbid. See, he has to point out stuff like that along the way. Because when he's talking about how we're not bound by the law and so forth, then people think, well, we don't have to pay any attention whatsoever to the law, the things, the commandments and so forth. This is God forbid. He has given us the, the guidelines. He's given us simple things that we can study and know his will. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, So if you go against the law and go back into the sin and and are dabbling in that, you become a servant of that, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Doctrine is truth. 
So the truth that's been delivered to you, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity and to iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. When you were servants of sin, you were separated and not part of, free from, not part of righteousness. But you were of sin, servant to sin. What fruit have ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a free gift given to us by grace. Read that one again. This is a verse that's used quite often, memorized a lot. For the wages of sin is death. The wages, that's a payment that you're going to have. The accountability that you have. The result of your sin is death. And that death is twofold, physical death and spiritual death, total and complete separation from God for eternity. That is the death that he's speaking of. But the gift of God, notice, it's a gift. It isn't the wages of serving God or the wages of serving Satan. The wages of serving Satan is death. But when it comes to God, it isn't the wages of God. No, it's a gift from God. It's by grace. But the gift of God is eternal life. Everlasting life. Everlasting reconciliation with God for eternity. Connected with Him and never separated. No one can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Not through you, not through any man, not through anyone of all time, but just Jesus Christ. Through His finished work, we have access to become reconciled to God, become brought back to life, and to be with them for eternity. That's what we have to look forward to. And it is by grace. It isn't because we're a descendant of Abraham. It isn't because we've taken the physical circumcision. It isn't any of our works. It is by the grace of God that Jesus Christ has done what He has done for us and holding out that gift, beckoning people to come in to receive that. We merely need to reach out, accept it, and apply it and serve the Lord and be blessed with oh so many things now and for eternity. So trust in the Lord. 23 again. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we truly thank you for that gift. And it's so awesome the many things that you can pour upon us, the many, many blessings and all by grace. We truly, truly thank you for all that and help us to truly appreciate it and encourage us to go out and share those blessings with others as well. Lead God and direct everything we say, everything we do, this we can always bring honor and glory to you and be thankful for the many gifts you give us. As we pray in Jesus' precious holy name, amen. Thank you all.